Lord is always calling us deeper in his relationship with us. And uh, if you're willing to accept it, he will have a word for you today. You know, it's funny, there are two Greek words that are used to describe the word word. It's the word logos, or logos, depending on how you've been taught how to pronounce it. But the next word is rhema. And rhema is a specific word. In fact, the word is actually going to be in our text today, the word rhema. It's a specific word. So God is calling you to a deeper place this morning if you're willing to receive the word that he's going to speak to you through his text today. Now, when you were a kid and you went to school, uh, I bet you one of the first things you learned was your numbers. And if you had already learned them at home, you're, you're acing the test, right? One, two, three, four, five. And then after your numbers, you learned simple subtraction and addition. Are, am I right? And then that knowledge of the, the, the words of the numbers and what their meaning were, and then adding and subtraction, then what came? Multiplication, right? Division. And then what came next? Fractions. And you see that when you went to grade school, starting out in kindergarten all the way through senior high, you were learning knowledge upon knowledge, knowledge upon knowledge, knowledge upon knowledge. And that's how we learn things of life. Are you with me on that? But it begs the question then, how do you learn or how do you grow? How do you mature as a follower of Christ? Is it just knowledge upon knowledge? Well, yeah, you're going to learn some knowledge, but our text today is going to go a lot deeper into how to grow as a believer in Christ how to hear a rhema of God so that you are transformed from what you were when you came to Christ. Now, the context of our passage is this, okay? Because you don't want to miss this because it's an important part. About a year prior, Peter, Andrew, James and John, Philip, Nathaniel, they were hanging out with John the Baptist. And do you remember what happened? John the Baptist saw Jesus after he came out of the wilderness. He'd already been baptized. And John points at Jesus and says, there goes the Lamb of what? The Lamb of God. What do Andrew and Simon Peter and Nathaniel and Philip do? They start stalking Jesus. You know, they're, they're follow, if you read the text in John, they're following Jesus, and Jesus turns around and looks at them and says, what are you guys seeking? And they're, they, uh, where are you staying? And Jesus offers this invitation, come and see. Come and see. And that was the invitation to Peter, Andrew, James, John, all these guys to come hang out with Jesus. And our text today, like I said, happened a year earlier. And during that year, these guys got to witness water being turned into wine. They got to see Jesus cleanse the temple. Talk about some power there. They got to see a woman at a well. They got to go to Samaria and hear Jesus preach to the Samaritans. They got to witness some healings. 
And at this point in time, we're gonna pick up our text. Now, these are all spectacular events, am I not right? But I'll tell you this, I think at this point in time, Peter doesn't know, because Peter's gonna be the focus of our text today. Peter does not know exactly who Jesus is because everything that Jesus has done so far has already been done by an Old Testament prophet. So that's not so weird, you know. So he's hanging out with Jesus for a year. And Jesus has set up his headquarters in Capernaum, which is Peter's hometown. And what did Peter do when Jesus came back to Capernaum? Peter's going to go back fishing. You're not going to continue to hang out moment by moment with Jesus, but Jesus has set up his, t his headquarters at Capernaum. And guess what? Peter has some debts probably. He's taken a whole year off of work and he's needing to go back to work a little and make some money, you know? Now that's speculation, but I, I think that's pretty grounded in reality. You just can't take a year off from your work and think that, bills aren't going to pile up. So we're at the end of the invitation when Jesus says, come and see. Now get your Bibles with you. So good, good, good. Turn to Luke chapter five, and we're going to take the first five verses. It says this, beginning chapter five, on one occasion. So Luke doesn't always do things in chronological order. He's throwing this event in, okay? On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, that is Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, also the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. It is a lake. I think I've mentioned already it's 600 and some odd feet below sea level. It's only about 12 miles across or 15. It's shaped like a pear, but it's a pretty decent sized lake. And he saw, verse two, two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. These are the kind, they're not, it's not a drag net. It's not a bell net. It's a kind of net that you kind of let down and then you hope fish swim over it and then you hoist it back up really fast so that it kind of scoops them up. And so when you do that, they can get pretty mucky if you're doing it in the shallows, not seaweed, but some, some pebbles, some sticks, some debris. And so they're there cleaning their nets, washing their nets, verse three, and getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, which is Peter. He asked him to put out a little from the land and he sat down, which was typical rabbi style, he sat down and taught the people from the boat. You can see that it presents a natural amphitheater. Pretend I'm in the water and you're up on shore and your voice carries over the water. And so now he's talking to actually a very large crowd because everybody can hear him. Instead, just pushing in, trying to hear him. He's in this natural amphitheater. And then verse four, it says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, not one fish. But at your word, 
I will let down the nets. Now Peter, he's a blue collar kind of guy. He's a blue collar worker. He doesn't have a formal education per se. But he knows one thing. And you know what that one thing is? He knows how to fish. So you can almost hear the frustration when he's been up all night long, out on his boat, letting the net down, hoisting it up, empty, letting it down, hoisting it up, letting it down, hoisting. He's exhausted. He's tired. And you don't fish in the day, Jesus. You fish at night when the fish come into the shallows. That's what you do, Jesus. And you don't fish in the deep. This sea, this lake, 120 feet deep in some parts, maybe a little deeper, 150 in others. Trying to catch a school of fish or any fish in this sea in the deep would be like trying to find a needle in a haystack because the fish have anywhere from 150 feet to hide and you're up on a boat and you're just dropping your net down and then hoisting it up super fast. Could you imagine trying to hoist it up and the fish just go right out of your net? Jesus, don't you know this? You don't fish in the deep. It's been all night. I'm tired and the, and the nets are already clean. So if we go out, we're gonna get skunked and then I gotta come back and clean it again and then it'll be time for me to go back out in the night. Jesus, he's frustrated too. He probably needs some money. Not even one fish. And then he uses the word master. It's interesting, it's only used seven times by Luke and it only by Luke. And there's like seven ways, or, or let me get that right, seven ways to say master. Sometimes teacher means master, rabbi means master, but Luke specifically says, you have authority, master, so I will do your bidding. And you notice that Jesus is, hears this word, but. He says, master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but. Instead, you're saying, okay, Jesus, I'll do it. But. And he says, at your word, I'll do it. Why? Because Peter respects and trusts Jesus. He's seen him. He's been with him for the last nine months to a year. He understands all this. But he also thinks that you're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. You don't know what you're doing. But at your word, I will do it. And that's the very first fill in the blank. I want you to see that Peter has submission in obedience even though he knows better you want to say it that way he knows more than jesus when it comes to fishing but i'm going to be submissive i'm going to be obedient but at your word i will let down the nets but he trusts them and what did peter do he submitted peter obeyed even if there was a but. Have you ever obeyed the Lord but had a but in front of it? I know you have. <sighs> Lord, you told me to forgive my enemies. But you don't know what they've done to me. I will obey. So you got to give Peter credit. He says but, but then he says, I'm going to submit. I'm going to obey even if he has some reservations about it. Now let's go back to the text. 
Verse six, it says this, and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat. And by the way, the word actually means signal. They are so focused on trying to get these fish up out of the water that, you know, they're doing the nod head because both hands are on the nets and they're, they're doing this thing and they can see and they go out and help. And they came and filled both the boats. This is unheard of. This is a miracle if you don't know it. I'm letting you know this is a miracle. So that they began to sink. There are so many fish. There's more fish than boat. Are you with me? But when Simon Peter saw it, this is what he does. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me. For I am a sinful man. Oh Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. These are professional fishermen and they're blown out of the water. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon and Jesus. And we'll just stop right there. So here's the next fill in the blank. It, it's a realization that Jesus is Lord. For a year he's been with Jesus. Right before this event, he calls him master. Do you notice what he calls him now? He calls him Lord. Do you, do you, can you picture the scene? The boat is filling up with fish. Jesus is in the boat still. And Peter goes face down at the knees of Jesus, right on top of these wiggling fish that are trying to escape. Forget the fish, Peter says. He says, depart from me. Why? He knew he was in the presence of God. You, you, look, at, you look at Job. When at the end of the book of Job, Job finally gets to meet God face to face in, the, in that whirlwind. And what does Job say? He says this, I despise myself. He could have said I'm a sinner. I, I am despising myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Or how about Isaiah? When he's just caught up and there's this vision of of God on his throne and what is he first thing out of his mouth woe is me for I am undone I am lost because I am a man of what unclean lips when we as believers get to that point where we hear this word from God and we go wow it's like an epiphany it is like you are Lord you are you are Lord you're not just come and see, but now it's, you are Lord, not master, but you are Lord. And Peter's words are dead on, aren't they? To be in the presence of God is to be in the presence of pure righteousness, pure holiness, pure purity, if you can even say that, pure purity. That is amazing. And Peter's action is right on. He's not overwhelmed by the miracle. Well, you know what's overwhelming him? 
He's in the presence of God. He has finally figured it out who this Jesus is. When people finally figure out who this Jesus is, there's this realization that he is Lord, and the only thing that you can do is do what? Fall down. Now, there are people in stages, they're learning and they're learning and they're learning. But it took them a year to come to this realization. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Now, let's go back to the text. And then Jesus says to this to Simon, do not be afraid because you're trembling in the presence of the creator, almighty God. He says, from now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. No longer does Jesus say, come and see, but now he says, follow me. Peter has the faith now to leave his old life. Did you catch that? Peter has the faith to leave his old life. That's mope. It should be happening when somebody comes to Christ. They leave their old life because they've come to the uh, realization that Jesus is Lord and I need every word that comes out of his mouth. And so here's, here's the fill in the blank. It's, he has now the faith to follow. He now has the faith to follow. He went from master to Lord. And by the way, the, the word master meant you're one in the authority, uh, boss, el jefe, the person in charge. But Lord has a different connotation. Still means authority, but it comes with power. The Lord has power over a master. Yes, a master has some power because he's an authority. But when he goes from master to Lord, he is getting it. And then Jesus uses this fishing analogy. Now in Matthew and in Mark, he says, you will now be fishers of men. Luke doesn't use that word. He says, go back to the text, from now on you will be catching men. By the way, this word's only used two times in the Bible, and it means to take somebody captive alive. And the other time it's used is in Timothy when it says, you Christians, you go save those that are perishing from Satan. Capture those that Satan has trapped. It's like, oh, that's a little different meaning. That we are kind of the, good com the great commission. We are to take captive those that are enslaved by the world. They're enslaved by COVID, by fear, by stinking thinking, by sinful nature. We are to catch them alive to bring them to Christ. That's what Luke is really saying here, which is just incredible. That we are to free the captives that are in the clutches of the enemy. Now the fish was used by the early church, and it's kind of cool. I'm going to take just a little tangent. And, and in fact, why don't you go ahead and, and throw up the next slide. The fish was an er early symbol of the church, and the letters in the Greek that spell the word fish aren't four letters, they're five. And it creates an acronym, and you might have heard of it. It's called ichthus. Raise your hand if you've heard of the, the word ichthus. It's just the Greek way to say this five-letter word. And each letter for ichthus stands for Jesus, Christ, God, Son, Savior. 
Now, because the church was persecuted and the fish had such a symbolic meaning, not only in our text here, but in other places as well, in order to know that you were going to the right place or the right house or to go into a place of worship and not get caught and jailed and tortured, you would make a hash mark, a curved hash mark in the sand. Now another Christian would know what that meant and then they would come by and they would do a slash mark. But of course it would be next and it would create what? The image of a fish. And this is how the early church survived an oppressive government. We may have to be doing something similar soon where we have to have this understanding. And I love that the acronym stood Jesus. He's Christ, he's God, he's Son, he's Savior. Because that's our testimony. Because that's the word that came from the Lord. And so that's just a little side note, but I thought it was kind of there in the text, so we might as well talk about the fish. But what are our takeaways from today's text? We went through the text fairly fast. Well, what are some of the takeaways? How do you grow as a believer that's modeled in this text? I'll, I'll, I'll give you a hint. It's not knowledge necessarily upon knowledge, but it's going to be faith upon faith. Because that's what the gospel came. Because in the gospel, there's, there's a faith to faith that is revealed in that gospel. So here's the very first fill in the blank for the takeaways. Number one is this. It's counterintuitive to what I know, but I will obey. Now, we're talking, of course, in context about Jesus. When Jesus gives you a word and an understanding, and you've had that realization, even though you're like Peter and say, God, do you really know what you're talking about? It sounds counterintuitive. And Jesus is going to ask you to do things that are counterintuitive in the way that you were brought up or in the way you've experienced life. You've got to lose your life if you want to find it. You've got to die to self. That sounds counterintuitive. Or you have to forgive as you've been forgiven. That sounds counterintuitive, Lord. Don't you, don't you know this world? Haven't you walked on it? Wait, counterintuitive is love your enemies. Love the people that rip you off. Love the people that cut you off. Love the people that are down, that are maligning your character on Facebook or in the neighborhood. And you're like bristling like Peter and you're like, God, this doesn't sound right. Submit yourself to one another. You know, I don't know. That doesn't sound right, Lord. To walk by faith and not by sight? To not walk in fear? God, it just doesn't sound right. But what did Peter do? He still obeyed. He still submitted. And that's what we do when God gives you a word and it sounds tough and it's hard. What do you do if you want to grow? You obey. You submit even when you don't always understand it. It's kind of, I know this analogy has been overused, 
but it's, it's kind of like the karate kid. Wax on, wax off, wax on, wax off. Mr. Miyagi was teaching him karate, but what did Daniel's son think? He didn't understand what Mr. Miyagi was doing, but Danielson was obedient, and guess what happened? He learned karate. I, that's an overused illustration, but it, it's so good and gets to the point that sometimes God asks you to do things that you don't want to do because you don't understand it, but what are you supposed to do? Be obedient. Be obedient. And what Jesus asks you to do sometimes is just counterintuitive to your flesh, let alone reason, just your flesh. Stop gossiping. What do you do? Stop gossiping. Stop tearing down your coworkers to build yourself up. Stop tearing down the people around you to make yourself feel better. Stop trying to fill your emptiness with stuff. See, that, that's counterintuitive to the world. That's counterintuitive to your flesh. Stop lying. Stop cheating. Stop arguing. Stop puffing yourself up. What do you do? You obey. You submit. Every time Jesus gives you a word, that's the word rhema, when, back in the text, when uh, Peter says, but at your rhema, at your specific word, I will do it. Every time you hear a word from the Lord, I will do it. But at your word, I will do it. Even if it doesn't make sense, and especially if it goes against your flesh, that's when you really have to be obedient. Because that's where you begin to really grow as a believer when you say, I will obey. I will obey. First grade to second grade to third grade, you're learning, adding to knowledge, to knowledge, to knowledge, until you've mastered it. But our walk with the Lord is faith upon faith upon faith, and it will not stop until you die and you are taken to heaven. If you're making a violin, if you're making a mandolin, you're making a, a guitar, what do you do? You start off with a block of wood, right? And then you kind of shape it a little, and then you're going to cut it, and you're going to form it, and you're going to lathe it, you're going to sand it, you're going to notch it, you're going to do all the things that you need to do so that it's useful. So it's a mandolin or a fiddle or a guitar. You know, God's doing the same thing with you. I love that the Bible is so honest about the men and women in the Old Testament. Their faith started out little, but they grew and it grew and it grew and it grew. Faith upon faith upon faith upon faith. Refining and protecting. Now, sometimes a step seems out of place. And we want to tell the Lord, not now, Lord. I got too much going on. Not now, Lord. Wasn't Peter basically saying that? Not now, Lord. Let's go back later tonight. Come on, Lord. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm exhausted. Can't, can't we just do this later? And Jesus says, no, we're not fixing your character later. We're fixing it now. We're going to work on this now. And if... This is very important. If you're ever going to grow in your faith, grow in your salvation with Christ, obedience has to happen. 
but at your word, Lord, I will do what you say. That's the beginning of not only wisdom, but man, it, it, it's the old head, heart, hand. If God says this, this is what I tell you, this is the word I'm speaking to your heart, and then you don't want to do it, you know what you're going to do? You're going to get constipated. God's given you knowledge. He's speaking a word to your heart so that you'll be obedient. And then you say, I don't want to. Head, heart, hand. If you don't do the hand part, you're just going to keep backing up and backing up. And pretty soon the word that he wants to put in you, you're not even hearing anymore. Because you haven't been obedient in first grade, how are you going to be obedient in eighth grade? Are you with me on this? That's why faith grows and it grows and it grows. When he tells you in his word and it says something to your heart, you are to be obedient. You are to be submissive to it. And when you do that, here's the fill in the blank that happens. Man, you're going to get blessed. God, God's ways always bless you. When you're obedient, God blesses you. Now, I want to be really clear about this, okay? This is not a business deal. This is not, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. This is not quid pro quo. This is, I will obey because it's the right thing to do. You are Lord. Not, oh, I'm going to obey because then I get blessed. Oh, you have reduced Jesus down to a genie, right? I'm going to not gossip. Now, God, you have to bless me. That is not what I'm saying here at all. But God's ways will always bless you. If you parent in God's way, you're going to get blessed. If you have your marriage in God's way, you're going to get blessed. David would have never messed around with Bathsheba had he been where he was supposed to be. But he was disobedient to the role of a king. He sent the army out and he stayed in the palace. The king was supposed to be out there. If he had been obedient, we would have never heard about Bathsheba. So when you are doing the things of the Lord and the word that he gives you, there's this automatic protection over you. Amen. You're in the right place at the right time and God's umbrella is protecting you. You step out of that into disobedience, you're not going to have that protection. So God's ways will always bless you. You think Samson and Delilah, the story would have been different if Samson had been obedient? I think so. So there's lots of negative examples as well. How many times have we been saved from a bad situation because we were doing the right thing? See, God's favor rests on you when you're walking in him. Are you with me? But it's not a business deal. It's just, I'm in the presence of God. And so I'm going to get those natural blessings that come from being in that presence. And when we're obedient to his word, even when we don't want to, it does change our parenting and our marriage does get blessed and our finances get blessed and our health gets blessed. 
Do you know there's been numerous studies that people that follow Christ have better lives? Do you know we have less? The study was actually the one I'm thinking of in particular was they interviewed people that pray to God. And they found out that the people that pray to God have less stress in their life. The people that pray to God have more joy in their life. The people that pray have a stronger identity of who they are. See, that's that, that's that blessing that comes. And how innumerable are the blessings that come when we're obedient. We don't even see them. So notice the progression. Obedience first, and then the miracle. In our text today, obedience first, and then the blessing came. Obedience always comes first. How about Abraham? Abraham's told to sacrifice his son Isaac. Now, Abraham's faith has grown a lot by, by now. And for three days, he journeys to Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son. But what happens? God intervenes. What happened first? Abraham was obedient. God blessed. Or about Moses. Moses is going to go in and he's going to confront Pharaoh and the government that was trying to kill him 40 years earlier for murdering somebody. And he has the faith to be obedient. And guess what happens? Oh, the plagues come. Or Elijah. Could you imagine you're Elijah? And God says to you, hey, there's a famine in the land, and you know about the famine because you prayed for it, so I want to send you out into the wilderness. So go out to the wilderness, and I will send a bird to bring you food. Now, if you were Elijah, are you packing things in your suitcase? Some protein bars? You're going to bring a canteen. You're going to, you're going to hedge your bets. Or are you just obedient? What happened? He was obedient. The raven came and fed him. Obedience first, then the blessings come. It's always like that. How are you going to see miracles in your life if you're not obedient first? How are you going to see your life transformed to be the kind of person that God has called you to be if you're not even going to be obedient in the first grade, let alone the eighth grade? You've got to be obedient. Obedience first, then comes the miracle. God will always bless you when you're obedient in ways that you may never see or never know or a favor that is anointed upon you. And you don't even know that that, that anointing is on you because you're not tying it to a business deal. You're just tying it to be, I'm in the presence of God. I'm, I'm talking here about the miracle of transformation. More than anything, not, not, not blessings that are in a physical nature, not a boatload of fish, but a changed life. You know what Peter took away from this event? Not a bunch of fish. He took away the realization that he was in in the presence of God Almighty, Jesus is Lord. And I imagine that the fish paid off his debt, which was great. You know, God would have worked it out maybe a different way. But it was the epiphany that, that happened. And that really leads us to our third takeaway. Here it is. Obedience brings understanding. And guess what happens to your faith? It grows your faith grows deeper. Peter will never be the, the same after this moment. 
he will never be the same. His faith has grown. His trust in Jesus has grown. Gideon was obedient to take 300 guys against an army with no weapons. All he had was a trumpet in one hand and a torch in another. And after that event, guess what? Gideon was never the same. Joshua was obedient to walk around the walls of Jericho blowing a trumpet. And then the walls fell down, and guess what? He was never the same. See, when you're obedient and God blesses you and you have this aha moment, you have this epiphany, you're like, oh, praise you, God. And your faith deepens. Your faith grows. Noah was obedient to build an ark for how many years? Too many in his estimation, right? He did it in faith. And what happened when he heard the first raindrop? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Noah was never the same after that first raindrop. Right? Why? Because his faith was, was manifested. When we're obedient, especially when we don't understand, when it doesn't make sense, that obedience will bring understanding. And your faith will grow and your life will be transformed. Little by little, hook by crook, we are to grow in our faith. You might have a big aha moment. You might have a big, oh my stars. That's great. But honestly, it's in the moment by moment of living every day, trying to find and be in the presence of God by being obedient. And when we're obedient, the joy comes, the peace comes, the wisdom comes, the understanding comes. But you get to see things with spiritual eyes that deepen your faith. But if you're not going to be obedient, you are going to get constipated. And you're not going to see what God is wanting to do to grow you. You want to continue to mature because God has a dream for you. When he thinks of, of you, Sharon, he has an idea of where he wants to take Sharon and transform her to. Amen? When he sees Jonah, he doesn't see Jonah as he is. He sees him where he wants him to be and to grow. He does that for all of us. But it begins with obedience. And when we're obedient, our eyes are open, and we have these aha moments, and then we see the miracle. And it may be a true miracle. Or it just might be a revelation of, wow, God, you really love me. You really love me. You can forgive me. You can make me new. You can make me fresh. You can remove the stain that has blemished my heart, my marriage, my finances, my neighborhood, whatever it is. He has the power, being Lord, to remove that and cleanse you. That is power. Remember, master, authority, Lord is power. Jesus is Lord. And it begins with obedience. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your long-suffering and patience toward us and how you revealed to us through Peter. Of all people, we are so much like Peter. We cling to the wisdom and understanding of just being obedient even when we don't understand.
Father, to you be all the glory. Great things have you done, great things you are doing, and great things you are doing to us as you transform us. As the gospel says, it is the power, your power, to transform us from faith to faith. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.